Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to the Revive Podcast. We're excited you're here. This podcast will include our Sunday morning Sunday school class, our worship night teachings, and an occasional fun interviews. I'm excited to share with you this week's episode. So Pentecost happens in chapter 2. Someone gives a sermon. Who gives a sermon? Peter. Peter. I love Peter because he takes his moments, and he he gets another moment in in our story today. But uh, the Holy Spirit comes uh, and lives within his people, lives within the followers of Jesus. Uh, Fun fact, no one was called Christian yet. No one was called a Christian. Um, That wasn't a term that anyone used. They were just followers of Jesus. And there wasn't a label of Christian. It was just followers of Jesus. But these people were Christian. They just didn't have that label. And so the Holy Spirit came in and dwelled within the followers of Jesus. They started speaking in other languages. And everyone kind of gathered around. But it was important because everyone from the different nations was present for the time of Pentecost. We talked about how Pentecost is 50 days after uh, Passover. And how that when Jesus uh, died around Passover, that God knew beforehand uh, the plan that Jesus would die and that he would be resurrected, spend 40 days with his disciples, ascend, and then the Holy Spirit would come to his followers. And how and God, before time began, recognized that as a part of his plan, um, which is mind-blowing to me, that it was always a part of his plan to do that. And, and, and Peter preaches this sermon, and he talks about how they've always been searching for this person called the Christ. We talked about that a little bit last week, how the Christ would be the person who all of ancient Hebrew texts, also known as the Old Testament, would uh, point toward, that the Christ would return at at the day of the Lord, that he would come and, and set right the kingdom of Israel. And there's this moment of rightful rule and reign done by a person called the Christ. And so Peter does this giant sermon where he says that Jesus was the Christ and you killed him. Uh, and they, there's actually, it actually ends with the people being cut to the heart and say, what must we do to be saved? And he says, repent and be baptized, every single one of you. Um, and about 3,000 people uh, give their life to Jesus. That's a phrase we would use. But back then, we, they would just say they repented and believed that Jesus was the Christ. And the church was born, 3,000 people. That's a, one heck of a sermon. You You preach it, and at the end of it, 3,000 people give their life to the Lord. That's a good Sunday, all right? And that's the beginning of the church. And then in Acts chapter 3, we begin to see the church living out its normal, everyday life. And so this is brand new. There wasn't a rule book of, of customs and traditions, and here's what it looks like to be a member of the church. Like, this was all brand new. It had just started, and they knew They were all Jews, and they understood what it looked like to be Jewish, but they didn't know how to do that in combination with following Jesus. And so they needed leaders to kind of teach them what that looked like. And so they would go to the temple every day. They would pray together every day. They would break bread in each other's homes because they were learning what community looked like. They were learning what, what does it look like to live as the church. If you remember, to go back to Acts chapter 1, Jesus says that you will be my witnesses throughout Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the world, ends of the earth. And he says that you are going to be spreading this message of hope that Jesus is the Christ to the world. And so that's the mission that's been given to them, right? He says that you'll be my witnesses. 
And so now the church is formed, and so they are aware that there is a job to be done. And so over the next, I don't know, like 28 chapters, we're going to see the progression of the church taking ownership of that mission to be witnesses and what it looked like for them. So in chapter 3, let me tell you the story about what happened. Um, Peter and John were going to pray. And, and we don't know exactly where they were going to pray, maybe the temple, maybe someone's house, but they're going to pray. And along the way to pray, there's this man who has been lame from birth. Uh, he couldn't walk from birth. It doesn't give us the age of the, of the man just yet. We just know that since the time that he's been born, that he hasn't been able to walk. And, but he, he's essentially begging for money. All right, so as people would walk to the temple, that he would stand outside the temple and he would ask for money. He asked, they would say something called alms, like give alms. And he, he calls out to Peter and John, and Peter and John look down at him and say, you know, riches I have not, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He says, I don't have any money, but in the name of Jesus, who's the Christ. Y'all see how he's always pairing the word Christ with Jesus, making a statement that Christ is the coming king. But in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Well, this man is healed. He rises to his feet. And for the first time in his entire life, begins to walk. He goes into the temple and praises God. And a commotion happens because they, everyone, everyone kind of looks around and saying, like, wait, 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 we know this guy. This is the guy that always sits outside the temple. This is the guy that can't walk. Why is he jumping? And, and there's this, this big commotion, and all of a sudden, people gather around Peter and John, and Peter and John just kind of start telling them the truth about who Jesus is. Uh, because in Peter's eyes, he was, a, he was a, a brilliant strategist. He saw large groups of people equals opportunity to preach. And so when a large group of people would come around, he's like, I'll just tell them about Jesus. And that was what he did. And so they come around and tell people about Jesus, and well, don't you know it, they got in trouble. The religious leaders of the day, and that's what we're going to pick up, they get in trouble. They're like, what are you doing? Why are you saying this? And that's the story uh, of Acts 3. And so to understand Acts 4, because Acts 4 is about how Peter and John respond to getting in trouble for healing someone. And that's where it starts off. Um, but I love that story. It says, silver and gold I have not, but what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ I give to you. Uh, there's a pastor named J.D. Greer. He tells a story. He uh, pastors a church that's right next to the college campus of North Carolina. And they were pastoring the offering basket uh, one Sunday. Y'all know, like offering, you pass it from the next person, next person. Well, college students, you know, y'all are kind of poor, so it's not very often to give things, right? And, um, and one day after the offering, they found uh, two McChickens wrapped in their McDonald's basket, uh, in the offering basket, with a sticky note that said, silver and gold I have none, but what I do have I give to you. And they decided to offer uh, to the Lord their McChicken sandwich, and, which I just think is hilarious. And, but it's that, it's that principle. Like, silver and gold I have not, but what I do have I give to you. I, I, have, I have a McChicken. So here's what we have. So that passage comes from three. That's just a funny story. Go to Acts chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. Last week we did 41 verses. We're doing less than that this week. I'm not going to give you the number, but it's less than 41. All right, and go to verse 1. Remember, Peter and John are preaching to the crowd because everyone's freaking out that this dude who was 
Never been able to walk in his entire life has now been able to walk. Is everyone there? Are we understanding? Like, they're in the temple. Like, does everyone, can y'all imagine the scene? Okay, two of y'all. Thank you. All right. Verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, check this out. The priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, they came upon them. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Let's just stop there. Okay, so there they are. Uh, they're teaching in the temple, and all of a sudden, the who's who of religious leaders shows up. Um, and we're going to see this as a theme throughout this whole chapter, but it says that the priests show up, uh, the captains of the temple, and the Sadducees come upon them. All of these religious leaders show up, and it says that came upon them. It has this uh, phrasing of they just kind of like showed up in a hurry. Like, get out of here. You can't do that. No, don't do that. Uh, like when, you're, like when a, like a kid is about to touch a stove and you like run in there and like, no. It's that kind of urgency that shows up. And they're like, get out of here. Why are they mad? Well, it's because they're proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Sadducees are known for not believing in the resurrection of the dead. Sadducees believed that this earth is final. And so, and they had prominent power in religious cult- culture. What happens when someone shows up and says, this earth isn't final, but there is a resurrection? The person who believes that this earth is final loses power. And so they were threatened by this type of thinking. And they would say, no, 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 there is not resurrection from the dead. Quit teaching this. And first of all, why are you teaching about Jesus but sometimes we try to think about um, Peter and John and the Acts and, and the book of Acts and all of these stories, and we think about it disconnected from the life of Jesus. But I would just like to remind you that this is about 50, 55 days since the death of Jesus. This is two months ago, the death of Jesus. This is not a distant, far-off thing. Let's see, it's September, so two months ago was middle of July. Like, this is not a far-removed occurrence. Connect these two stories in your mind because they're happening around the same time. The same Sadducees, the same priests, the same religious leaders that got on to Peter and John are the same ones that crucified Jesus. They're the same ones. Okay, but go to verse 3. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Okay, here's what, I, here's what I can tell you about that. According to Jewish customs, you would never have trial after 4 p.m. They went home. I love that. <laughs> and so it was after 4, and they say, okay, we can't have trial, but you know what we can do? We can throw you in jail. So just to let you understand how one day goes, one day Peter and John are walking to the temple. They see a man. They tell him to rise in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is healed and they just start explaining what happened. Well, they get in trouble. They end up spending that night in jail. You know, they weren't expecting that when they woke up, right? All right, they were just going to church. And then they wake up the next morning in jail, and the rest of the story is what happens that day. So talk about an unexpected change of events. But verse 4 is a very interesting uh, literary element here because it's almost like, that Luke, the author, is trying to make a point about power. We, what we've just seen is that 
All the people have shown up, the religious leaders, the priests, the captains, the Sadducees, everyone's there. And then you have Peter and John. What do we know about Peter and John? How old are they? Well, we, we know that they're less than 30, particularly right around the age of college students. Uh, we know that Peter's married and that John's single. But they're young men. Young men who have now been surrounded by these religious leaders and the religious leaders are going to use the tactic of intimidation. And so they're trying to show who has power. That's what he's trying to depict in this. But in verse four, it says, but many of those who had heard the word that Peter and John had preached, they believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. He takes a moment to have a, it seems like an ADD moment. Like, why would you stop the story to tell me how many people are in the church? But he's making a point. He says, no, 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 look, these people think they have power. But even though they think they have power, God is continuing to grow. And Peter and John standing up and preaching again, 2,000 more people have come to know Jesus. Like, that's an incredible moment that we have to recognize about power. And the church starts with 120. Then it goes to 3,000. And then we see it move to 5,000. The church is growing. The church is growing, but we're going to see direct persecution. Verse 5. On the next day, they woke up in prison. Their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who are of the high priestly family. Okay, so now they've increased the intimidation. It's not just who's who, but it's like, no, the biggest, the biggest names the biggest threats are here. The highest priests, Alexander, all of the high priestly family, royalty is now here. This has become quite the scene. And I want you to just imagine this. They're in this room. It's Peter and John. There's two of them. And they're surrounded by all of these religious leaders that everyone in that community revered. Everyone who set the standard of what spirituality was is in that room. You've got Peter and John, two 20-year-olds, standing in that room. How will they respond? I want you to imagine you being in that room. It's you. And everyone's circling around you. And they're coming for you. Because they already told you to stop. And now they just threw you in jail. And now you've spent the last night in jail. What happens? Verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, well, (laughs) the text doesn't say well, but I like to think he said well, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. Let's stop right there. So they, the story tells us that they gathered Peter and John, put them in a room, 
And if you read the rest of the story, you'll actually see that they were threatening them this entire time. Uh, Later on, it says they couldn't threaten them anymore, which implies that they were threatening them earlier. Well, this was the moment when they were threatening them. They were threatening them, saying, hey, don't you know that if you keep speaking this, we're going to kill you? Okay, let's take that a step further. If you keep speaking this truth, we're going to kill your family. Okay, let's take that a step further. Don't you remember what we did to Jesus two months ago? Don't be a fool. We have power. That's what's happening in this room. If someone gathered all of the big, like the biggest names of spirituality, put them in one room, and then sat you and your buddy in the middle, and then said all of those things to you, how would you feel? What emotions come over you? Fear? Timid? Uh, Maybe guilt for some reason? (laughs) But how do Peter and John respond? There's this word, it's called boldness. They have boldness in this moment. Fun fact, Jewish courts actually rewarded uh, people who spoke frankly, who were a matter-of-the-fact kind of people. But that always happened um, from people who were highly educated and were revered. It didn't happen from uneducated common men. But Peter decides to speak with boldness. What does he say in his boldness? He says this. Let's go back to verse 8, 9, and 10. He says, you know, if we're being examined today about a good deed done to a crippled man, uh, yeah, we did that. Like, I'm guilty, I guess. Like, can you just imagine that? He's like, okay, all y'all are really upset about something, but all we did was help this guy walk. <laughs> like, I don't understand what the big deal is. Uh, and every, but they're like threatening him. We're going to kill you. We're going to kill your family. And he's like, I helped the guy walk. And, but then he says, but let it be known to you that here's the power by which it was done. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Let's talk about that phrase. Jesus, that's the person. Christ, that's the power, that's the position. Nazareth, that's the place where he's from. In other words, he's saying, you know exactly who I'm speaking of. I'm speaking through the man that you killed two months ago. I'm speaking of that face that you still remember. That's the man who has the power by which this can be done. He is the Christ whom you have crucified. But furthermore, he says, You crucify, but look at the last part of verse 10. Can y'all go there? It says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. He does a parallel there. He says, Jesus the Christ, the Christ, the one that you guys are all been looking for for the last thousand years, the Christ, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. He's saying your your best idea was to kill him. God's best idea was to bring him back to life. You are actively living out in opposition to the will of God. Y'all see him saying that? He's saying you're living in contrast to the will of God. Peter is not holding back any punches. That man has boldness. I'm just amazed uh, by his boldness. I just can imagine being in that room, not 
not having boldness, but thinking, I'd probably think this, all right, how do I get out of this? How am I going to get out of this room? I've got to get out of this room. But Peter and John, and, and to be fair, the text also says that John was saying stuff too. It doesn't say what he said. Maybe it wasn't as cool as what Peter said, but it says that he was saying stuff too. They were both being bold. And he says in verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that you were rejected, that was rejected by you, the builders, which has now become the cornerstone. Just to kind of give the picture there, that's quoting from Psalm 118. Remember, these are religious leaders. They knew their Bible. They knew, their, they knew the Old Testament better than any of us in this room. And Psalm 118 is a story uh, about a temple. And the idea of Jesus being the cornerstone of rebuilding the temple or keeping the temple uh, as constructed. Well, who took care of the temple? The religious leaders. And so they might have taken great offense to the idea that Jesus is the cornerstone by which the temple was going to be built. They're saying, no, 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 I'm, I, I care for the temple. He says, no, but Jesus is the cornerstone. He says that the builders have rejected. Guys, you, he's, this is beautiful. Peter's talking to the religious leaders. He's saying, y'all are the ones who are creating culture, building spiritual culture in this town. And you rejected the cornerstone by which you could build everything from. Peter and John are building the church with, through the power of the Holy Spirit from the cornerstone of Jesus. But the actual builders, the ones who are built into society to be the religious leaders, they rejected the cornerstone. Does that make sense? And so you have these two things paralleled. And in verse 12, he says something very, very, very point blank. He says, there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Uh, just to parallel that, I mean, we could talk about that forever. Um, but he makes the point that, like, Jesus, the one that you crucified, is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He's the one that salvation comes from. Okay, so how do these people respond? Peter and John have just been the most bold they've ever been in their life. <laughs> how do they respond? How do all the, the religious leaders? Verse 13. I love this verse. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, see, John was bold too, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Let's start with that last verse. They, they're seeing the situation but at the same time, they're going, but at the end of the day, this guy can walk, and so I, we can't, like, execute Peter and John because the whole town knows that they did a good thing. So we have no claim. We have no report against them. There are no charges that we can hold up in court because all they did was a good deed. But they're still frustrated by him, by them. But it says that they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated common men who had been with Jesus. Let's talk about that just a little bit. Uneducated common men. That sounds like a great phrase. Let's make that our new Instagram bio. We're uneducated common men of Nacogdoches, men and women of Nacogdoches. How's that sound? Everybody wants to be that. No, no one wants to be called uneducated. Can you imagine someone saying that to you at a dinner party? Well, they're saying, but he's uneducated. You'd go, uh-uh. And you're a jerk. You know, like, like, 
oh, that, that person's just common. They're normal. Some of y'all are like, yes, that's all I want to be in life is normal. Other y'all is like, why would I ever be normal? Uneducated common men. It says that they spoke with such boldness and didn't have any of the pedigree, any of the proper theological training that they were astonished. They hadn't been to um, a, a rabbi school of theology, to say it in a simpler way. Like, no rabbi had taken them through seminary classes. That's a modern way of saying that. They were fishermen of Galilee. They were 20-year-old dudes who fished for a living. And all of a sudden, when the moment was tense, they stood up and had boldness and declared the faith of Jesus without any proper training, but they had boldness. And the religious leaders are just astonished. They don't know what to do with themselves. Uh, and, and so taking it a step further, they, they, didn't, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I just wish that sentence was true about all of us. I know we can talk about it in the text, but just to take that sentence out and, and let that sentence sit on your heart for a second, I wish that people would hang out with every single one of us and say, oh, they spend time with Jesus. And they recognize they had been with Jesus. You see, the disciples had no formal education, but what did they have? They spent two years of their life doing life together with Jesus. They don't have any diploma, but let me tell you, they were trained because they had spent time with Jesus. And uh, society didn't say that they had any type of proper education, but they had spent time with Jesus. And I just wish that wherever we went, it was just incredibly evident, oh, they've spent time with Jesus. What would it look like for the people in your dorm room to say, oh, oh yeah, he, he spends time with Jesus, I can tell. I go, oh, I know, I know that person. She spends time with Jesus. She has spent time with Jesus. Like, that's just an incredible sentence to me. Uneducated and common, sure, but she spends time with Jesus. And they had boldness. I want to summarize the next few verses just so I can kind of tell you all the story. Essentially, they threaten them some more and say, hey, so because you healed someone who, uh, you know, couldn't walk but now can walk, we don't really know what to do because um, we can't punish you. But uh, do us a favor, uh, never do that again or we'll hurt your family. And it's like, okay. And that's kind of just how it ends. They don't get thrown in. There's no beatings. There's no stoning. Like, they just leave. Uh, but at the end, it says that the man that the sign of the healing was performed on, the man that can now walk, was 40 years old. For 40 years, this man could never walk. And, the, and he's healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Of course, the whole town has a commotion. And of course, the religious leaders couldn't do anything about it. So what do they do? I want y'all to flip over. Well, it's for my Bible. It's the next page. Go to verse 23. And here's what happens. They're released, and we're going to pick up the story right there. We're going to read for a little bit. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and all the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. 
For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Just pause real quick. What happened? They were released, and where do they go? They go to their friends. That makes sense, right? If any of y'all were thrown in prison unexpectedly, you'd go see your friends right afterwards, right? Or your mom or your cat, but some of y'all, mostly your friends, right? And you, you go to the people that love you, all right? They go to the people that love you, and what's the first thing they do together? They lift up their voice to God. They receive what we're going to call persecution. And notice how I use the word persecution. I won't get on a soapbox here, but persecution is when they were being threatened because of them living out their faith, because of them proclaiming Jesus. That was persecution. Not just that someone didn't like them, but it was centered around them proclaiming their faith. That was persecution. So they received persecution and they went to the people that loved them. And what do they do together? They pray. That makes so much sense. In the midst of this hard time, they lift up their voice and they say, Sovereign Lord. Here's another play from the author on power. He's talked about all these rulers coming together, but when they get out, they say, Sovereign Lord. Like, God, we recognize who has real power in this situation. And it's, and it's you. Overall, who makes all things. Then he quotes uh, this text. And he talks about how people have come against the Lord, have come against his anointed of one, how, how People have come against the Christ. And he says, and didn't we just see this where Pontius Pilate uh, came, came against you and Herod? This is a really cool moment because what's happening is that they're seeing the story of the Old Testament take place in their life. Have you ever experienced something in the Bible happen in front of your eyes? Where maybe you've experienced uh, forgiveness happen between two people and you got to witness it. And you've seen that theme of forgiveness uh, happen, Or have you seen someone come to know the Lord, begin a relationship with God right in front of your eyes? And you can see the story of Scripture, leave this book and play itself out in the world. You ever had any of these moments happen before? Well, that's what they're experiencing. They're like, this is the moment of the Christ. It's happening. We're part of it. And sovereign Lord, help us. What do they pray for? Look at verse 29. This is what they pray for. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs through the name of your servant, Jesus Christ. They pray for more boldness and they say, God, continue to do incredible things. They pray for more boldness and say, God, continue to do incredible things. I love that. They have been persecuted. They've been thrown into jail. They've been threatened. They've been reminded that, hey, look, we just killed Jesus. We could kill you too if you wanted. And they go back and they say, God, give me more boldness. That makes a lot of sense to me. Because in that moment, you guys ever been bold and had, looked like you had courage, but you've been terrified on the inside? Has that ever happened to you? Like you did the thing that was courageous, but on the inside you were like, I'm going to die. Like you're afraid. That's what's happening here. Because they come back and they say, God, give us more boldness. I'm scared. And I started thinking about boldness. Why aren't we bold in our life? I think there's four reasons we're not bold. What keeps us 
from acting boldly in our faith. What keeps us from acting boldly? The first thing is, man, we're, we are afraid of other people's opinion of us. And that keeps us from being bold. When, I hear the, when you hear the word bold, you might immediately think, okay, I've got to stand on the corner of Surf and Steve and preach the gospel as loud as I can. That's not necessarily what I'm saying. God might ask you to do that. If that's the case, you should do that. But like, that's not necessarily what I'm saying. I'm saying the way that you live your life in regards to the matters of faith, in regards to matters of Jesus, do they resemble boldness or are you more timid? Or are you more reserved? Do you keep it to yourself? Or is there boldness there? Boldness can come out in the way that you forgive someone. Boldness comes out in the way you love the person you don't want to love. Boldness comes out when you share your faith. Boldness comes out when you challenge your brother and sister to say, we are going to meet with God on a regular basis. Come, be a part of this community group. We're going to go through scripture together where you lead out in that. That's boldness. But if we're concerned with other people's opinions, we won't have boldness. What if Peter and John would have been, you know what? Oh my gosh, all the people are here. And I've been, I've looked up to you my whole life. And I really need you to think highly of me. So what I'm going to do is kind of just recant what I've said and fall in line with things that you would appreciate. Do the things you would want. That's not boldness. That is so centered around thinking about what will other people think about me. That keeps us from boldness all the time. What's the second thing? The second one is we don't know how to be bold. We don't know how to act boldly. Why do we not know what that is? Because we've never entertained the thought in our mind. How might it look like for me? Remove the we for a second. How might it look like for me to be bold where God has placed me? in my life, in my classes, in the place that I work, where I live, in my hobbies, in my personality, how might it look like for me to be bold? We've never spent time thinking about that. And what might it look like? The third reason that keeps us from acting boldly is that we're afraid uh, to be bold, but to be bad at being bold. That, that's the thing right now in, in this generation. If we're gonna be bad at it, we don't try it. And we do that with boldness. We do that with all things Christian too. If I think I'm going to be bad at it, I'm just not going to give it a shot. But boldness isn't worried about being good or bad. It's just bold. And the fourth one is we don't want to be bold. We want to be ignored. We want to be forgotten. We don't want to receive a label of religious. Or honestly, we don't want someone to say, yeah, he's bold. (laughs) We just don't want them to do that. What are the things that keep us from acting boldly in our faith? Because when Peter and John acted boldly in their faith, 2,000 people came to know the Lord, and a dude who had never walked for 40 years walked. What might God want to do in you if you act boldly? What if God wants to use you in an incredible way, but you have to be bold? What would boldness look like for you? It's just making sense. What might God want to do in your life? The church went from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000. Peter preached two sermons. And he acted boldly. 
John acted boldly. And so that's my prayer for us today, that we are bold people, uneducated common men and women who have been with Jesus, but bold. And we leave other people astonished based upon our boldness, astonished that we've been, because we've been with Jesus. Now, they were bold, but they still had the character of Jesus. Let's make that very clear. Boldness does not equal rude. You still live out the fruit of the Spirit in your boldness. You still live out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, finish the list, in your boldness, but you do it boldly. Let's pray. God, I pray for boldness among these students and among me. God, we ask for boldness. And I really just want to pray the same prayer they prayed in Acts 4. God, continue to give us boldness while you do incredible things around us. Continue to give us boldness while you do incredible things around us and help us to see it, Lord. And we say all this in your name. Amen. All right. Well, we're so glad that y'all joined us today um, for Sunday school. I just have a couple of announcements for you guys. So um, we're still um, having signups for CGs for our college groups. Um, I think there's a QR code, but um, there it is. Um, so if you are not signed up for a college group yet, go ahead and do that. They're on Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursday nights. Um, it's just a time where we get to get together with college students in a host home. Um, eat dinner together, talk about uh, the teaching that was on Sunday. Um, it's a really sweet time to build community. Um, and if you're in the pages, CG, that is starting tomorrow, so don't forget. Um, and then I have another thing. So tonight we are having um, something called Stories and Songs. Um, so if y'all don't know, Fredonia Hill um, writes, produces, and releases um, like their own uh, music on... Yeah, um, <laughs> and so you can find us on um, Apple Music and Spotify, just for Donia Hill. Um, our EP actually just got released on Friday, was it Friday? Friday, um, and so y'all should go check that out. But this evening, we're having something called Stories and Songs, um, where we're actually going to get to sing those songs all together. But Blake, our worship pastor, um, is going to go into the stories um, of why those songs were written. Um, so it's, it's going to be a really sweet time, so y'all should come 6 p.m. in the worship center. So, yeah, y'all are dismissed. <laughs> so quiet.